Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Hashtag RealPod. Today we have a very special guest in Taylor Formico-Kingy. Taylor is a former UCLA starting libero and a two-time Pac-12 Libero of the Year, and she's a Navy CA All-American, so she was an incredible athlete, and I'm pumped to have her because Taylor's story is very inspiring, and she's also just a very inspiring girl. She went from being a setter in high school to changing positions when she went to college and spent her first year at UCSB. She absolutely shattered records there, took a year off of volleyball, then came back at a UCLA and absolutely dominated. We are going to talk all about her mental framework, how she approaches the game, and overall what life lessons and morals kept her centered through it all. I was really excited to do this with her because I've always looked up to her and admired her as a player, and um, I just had a great time sitting down with her. I do want to say that we had some technical difficulties, so you might be hearing um, differences in some audio moments, but overall just extreme value, I think, in this podcast. I honestly wish I could have heard some of Taylor's wisdom uh, when I still had a team to report to. But anyways, I'm just glad that you all get to listen and hopefully put some of this into your play and the way you function as a teammate and and as a player on, on whatever team you're on. So with that said, let's get started and get ready for some amazing wisdom from Taylor Formico Kingy. I wanted to have you on this podcast because I think, for me at least, playing the libero position was very hard. I think of solo tennis players. I think of pitchers. I think of goalies, sort of that position that's kind of selfless. Um, it's just you and, and the ball, like, and you have all this time to think. And so when I thought of like who I could bring on to help me sort of have a great conversation about this was you, because I've always looked up to you as a libero and you certainly appeared to have totally mastered it. Um, and I'm just grateful to have you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, your whole podcast and everything you guys talk about is is so awesome and inspiring. So I'm happy to be a part of the conversation. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I guess a quick um, rehash on our relationship. We grew up in the same sort of a- uh, neighborhood area. Your, your, my brother and you went to high school together. And then I remember when you went to play at UCLA, 
I was still in high school and my mom was like, you should call Taylor Formico and see if she will give you a private lesson because she will just tell you the secrets and the ins and outs of the position. And we did a private (laughs) lesson before my freshman year at USC, which was the whole time I remember being like, does she think I'm good enough to like be in our conference? Like how am I playing right now? (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was fun. That was, what was I, uh, was I at UCLA at the time or UCSB? Yeah, you were. I think you had just finished maybe your first season there or second. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But super looked up to you and was super cool. And you've always, and I remember even during season, I was able to text you like about like, oh, I'm losing it on receiver. I'm in a funk here. And you were always so helpful. So let's just, I want to talk a little bit about your volleyball story. Um, Just to quickly catch people up to before you even got to college, you were a setter. So you played a totally different position. And then you transitioned to be a libero, which is completely different um, for college. So how did that transition come about? Was that something that you wanted to do or did a coach suggest that? Um, so obviously I love setting, you know, you touch the ball more than, than being in the libero. And I really tried to get recruited to be a setter. I was only five, six. So there were maybe three or four schools that were interested in me. Um, and I remember, I think it was the end of my junior year. So summer going into senior year and I started doing some visits and I went to Cal Poly and it was right before that older coach was there. Um, and I visited with him, and there's some weird stuff going on. And then I went to UCSB, and I met Kathy. And um, after that visit, this is, you know, I, I knew that's where I wanted to go. She had barely seen me play. She actually knew Jen Agresti. Um, oh, really? So Jen actually, yeah, got the connection for so me. So she knew one of your high school coaches. Yeah, coaches yeah, yeah. yeah. So, which, so I got the opportunity to go visit the campus because Jen put in a good word for me. And I remember Kathy looked at me, and she's like, huh, set her? No, 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 but I'll take you as a, as a walk on libero. I'm like, okay. And then she, and you talked about, you never played libero before. Well, I played my, I think it was my sophomore year when I played up on 18s to play with my cousin and I was a DS all year. And then at the end of the year, I played libero. So I was kind of like a backup setter DS. Um, that was my sophomore year of high school. So I did that, and then I I said, and I I just because I played a couple years up. So um. wow, so you were not. It's just wild that you're not taking receive reps. You're not mm-hmm. focusing on left back or middle back. You're just yeah. setting and playing right back D. So she says that, and what are you thinking? So what was nice about Kathy is she she kind of got to know my personality and knew it would be a great fit, and she can challenge me, and I really thrived in that environment. So just talking with her and getting to know what she's about, what that team's about. And my responses to that, I think we both realized, wow, this is going to be a great fit. Even though I haven't played the position before, you know, I'm ready to step in and and provide what I can for the team. So what exactly did she see in you? And did you see in yourself that is what you're saying of, you know, it would be a good fit? Yeah, I think um, she's she's very tough. Um, And, you know, when you talk to Kathy Gregory, she says things like, you know, you're not good enough yet. You're not going to be this. You don't work hard enough. You know, you're not going to be this. And, and I react well to those type of comments because like, you're right. You know, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to show you, I'm going to work harder. I'm not good enough now, but I will get there. I will beat out your libero. I will do this. And that type of environment, my dad's very much like that. So growing up with my dad and three brothers, I think I just thrive in those environments and have that thick skin. Yeah. And so when you talk to these other college coaches and it's like, Oh, you know, this is the reality of the situation. And Kathy said, Hey, if you want to work hard and you're going to get as equal as an opportunity as my scholarship libero is going to get, you know, I'm going to give you that. And, and it's yours to take what you want with it. And I was like, wow, that's all I want. I want someone to treat me that way. No matter if I'm a walk on, no matter if I've never played the position to say, Hey, you're going to get just as much as equal competition. I'm going to push you just as much as I push them. And, 
And that was kind of my my moment where I was like, wow, this is going to be a good fit for me. Most people would not react well to comments like, you're not good enough, or you got to prove yourself, or like, you're you're entitled to nothing. Mm -hmm. So why is it, you talked about growing up that way. What would you advise to someone who hears those comments and then just shuts down? I think... Yeah, I think it's all your perspective on it. And, and you know, what's your solution to the problem? How are you going to, are you going to be a victim of it? Oh, yeah, you know, people all your life are going to tell you you're not going to be good enough. Or there's always going to be someone else out there. So it's how are you, how are you going to look at the situation and use it to fuel you? Or are you going to use it to break you? And I think throughout my whole, especially club career, I mean, I was a five six setter with no hops, um, terrible hands. I have terrible hands. I have good rhythm. I can get, I, I, I can feel the ball, but I have terrible hands. There's no way I saw you just (laughs) hopping over the line, setting butter and system balls. My nickname in in club was, um, deer hooves because I just kind of jab at the ball, but it works. Um, so I think just, you know, my whole career, you, and I'm sure you feel the same way, you know, in club volleyball, there's times where you're playing you're not playing you know the parents can bob or whatever it is and it's all these obstacles and I think at a, at a young age my dad really taught me to take a look at the situation and you know what can I give to the situation what what do I want to choose to get out of this and I think that's looking at the silver lining right so you're seeing a situation most would view as negative but you're like what can I gain here what yeah. challenge is presented mm-hmm. so from a really young age you sort of have this growth mindset mentality mm-hmm. which is something the growth mindset something I did not learn until after my freshman season at USC yeah so that's just obviously super impressive and and that helps you start libero that freshman season is that correct yeah that and I mean it was tough I I think in in preseason maybe one or two times I didn't cry after practice I mean I was bawling Kathy was tough she would yeah she would you know put you on the line line you up on line she'd serve balls at you and go you know I was terrible at serve receive I couldn't figure out how to pass a floater I just you know I just wasn't used to it and I'd practice five hours a day and, you know, until I could get it. And I kept having to remind myself, you know, she's pushing me. When she's not talking to me is when I should be worried. You know, if she's still talking to me and if she's still pushing me, she still sees something in me. And you kind of just got to convince yourself of that. And it's it's very easy to, to play the victim, I'm sure. And, and I don't want to use the word victim, but it's very easy to feel bad for yourself because it is a tough situation. to you. Right. Think everything's happening to you. Like, oh, she's picking on me today and, you know, maybe I'm not good enough and, you know, I'm sure all my teammates would relate with that because we all feel that way. But I really, and I attribute a lot of my success to my dad because he was, you know, I'd call him and he would never let me use an excuse for anything. So if I'm calling and saying, she picked on me today because of this, he was like, good, good. You got the opportunity to get picked on today. How'd you handle it? And I'm like, oh, bye dad. <laughs> you was know? he an athlete? He was an athlete. He comes from, he has eight siblings, um, all athletes. Um, he... Yeah, so very athletic family with him and his siblings. So grew up in an athletic environment. So it was a very challenging mindset. And, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to have an excuse for anything. So I, I was just challenged, I guess I should say. So after that challenging preseason double days experience, mm-hmm. once you got that jersey and you're on the court, did you ever have little doubts? Like, should it be the other girl? Or does she deserve it because she's played libero? Like, did you ever have some imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think it's normal for those feelings, obviously, to come up. Um, especially, you know, I remember my freshman year in preseason, we played UCLA, and it's like, wow, you know, we're in the Big West Conference, and now we're playing UCLA. Maybe I, you know, won the position here, but now I'm playing against a way better team, or, you know, all those feelings come up. And I think, 
you know, when you have a good relationship with your teammates and they're confident in you and you're confident in yourself and you put the work in, I think, you know, what's meant to be will be you got to just, you know, trust your game and trust your training. And I think it wasn't until I got to UCLA when I really started putting in the extra hours because it was just a, a level up from what I was used to. And, I, you know, I had to, to get my game to where I wanted to be at and compete. Um, but definitely at UCSB, you know, it was always a struggle. And I got really close with Kathy and I embraced her. I embraced everything about her and I, I was on board and I bought in. And I remember one of our games actually – I think it was a five-game match, and it was, you know, like 30 to 32. You know, the score was whatever, and I got 40 digs, and I didn't play well. You know, I might have had digs, but there's just lots of rallies or whatever, but I wasn't passing well. You know, I wasn't hitting my serves. I, You know, my, my attitude on the court was kind of down. I'm usually the loudest one, and she ripped on me after, and they wanted to um, do, like, some interview or something because the 40 digs, and Kathy wouldn't let me do the interview, and you know, in the time, I'm just like, damn, I already had a good game. Like, I'm holding myself to the highest standard. You know, I get it. I, I know I didn't play where I was at, but I look back. Even a couple games later, I look back, and I was like, that was awesome. Like, for her to think I can even do better, it means I'm going to be able to do better. That's wild. A 40-dig game, and she's like, no, you can't do the interview because it should have been 60. It should have been well, she, well, Well, yeah, yeah. The serve received should have been better. The yeah. whole game, that's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. Her and, thing was, you know, digging's one aspect of the game. You know, you didn't perform in the other aspects. And so don't, don't think tonight, you know, was a special night because you had 40 digs or whatever. And that kind of mentality, you know. I, I really appreciate that she did that for me. So it sounds like you're having a great relationship with her and she's pushing you to grow. So mm-hmm. how does transferring? Yeah, so after my freshman year, Kathy decided to retire. And so I looked at a couple other teams to transfer to. I was hoping to transfer to maybe a Pac-12 school. Um, I really actually wanted to go to UCLA. And they were in a, I think, transition period. That was around the time where they didn't make the tournament for the first time. And there was some stuff going on there. So I think Seely was hesitant to pull the trigger on me the first time around in that springtime. And that's kind of where I did want to go. And then after, I think, and then when I was a sophomore at UCSB, I think that's when they actually didn't make the tournament. And Seely and I got in contact, I think, uh, towards the end did of the year. Did he remember you from when they played? Yeah, he did. And yeah. he was impressed, obviously. Yeah, so that's that was kind of his interest was was in me because, obviously, we played them um, my freshman year at UCSB. So so then, yeah, so then I contacted him, and then I was able to walk on. And then I went, and I played beach first. It was a whole other experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not a beach player. And then you had to be indoor. So that's your first double day. Is Now it's a new coach. You've had a year off. And they have a good libero. They have a libero that started and played in the Pac-12 conference the year mm-hmm. before you got there. She's mm-hmm. still on the team. You know, did you have doubts going in? Like, am I going to... Did you know that he was thinking of, okay, it's going to be an open battle. Like, I want to see if what Taylor Formico can do. Or were you thinking, that's his girl. Like, let me try to be the DS. I don't know. So that's what, obviously, you know, I, I, I loved about Kathy. She's transparent. Hey, you'll get a you'll get a fair shot. If you want to work hard, you want to show up to practice, you want to be a team player, you know, you're going to get a fair shot. And Seeley's coaching approach is different. None's either right or wrong. It was just different. So going from Kathy Gregory's gym to Mike Seeley's gym was like night and day for me. And I really struggled. I remember the first two weeks. Well, I struggled just, you know, am I good enough to be here, right? You're playing. This is a whole nother game. I, I didn't even, this is so embarrassing. I didn't even... Um, know what the tournament was and when I got to (laughs) UCLA they were all like oh you know we didn't make the tournament last season and I was like oh god we didn't either at UCSB 
Like, I didn't understand like how important the tournament was. Funny. So I was I was definitely intimidated in that environment, um, and you know, not being a scholarship athlete or or whatnot. You know, just being a walk on from UCSB, which. In the end, you know, I wouldn't have changed being a walk-on for anything. I think it, it helped me, you know, I thrive from being an underdog. But back to the, the UCLA experience, it was about my second week in the gym, and I was super frustrated. And I'm very bad at hiding my feelings. Um, ask my teammates. I'm very vocal, and, you know, it, it's pretty easy to read me. And Celie pulled me aside and was like, hey, you know, week two, you feel frustrated. And I've never had a spring season before, so I'm thinking, you know, we're grinding. They didn't make it to the tournament last year, like, Balls to the wall. Little do go. you know, spring is just the spring. biggest joke of <laughs> yes. college volleyball. It's like free balls, right? It's like we are losing to teams we've never heard of, and they're just posting on Instagram, we beat USC. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't really us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, he pulled me aside, and I expressed my frustration, and I'm like, you know, I transfer here thinking I'm going to get my butt kicked, and, you know, we're at UCLA, UCLA, we're, you know, going for a championship, like whatever it is. And I start crying, just a frustration, not being able to express myself. And he didn't feel bad for me. And he looked at me and said, you know, until your game is perfect, you know, don't point fingers. And that was awesome. I was like, you're so right. I, you know, I'm week two. I'm not even giving this thing a shot yet. And I'm judging. So you were maybe saying like the team's not working hard enough. We're not practicing. He's work. not pushing us right. type of thing. And I remember it, it's spring, right? So Carcelo is one of the most amazing people to play volleyball. She's amazing. And I remember I loved her to death. But, you know, she they rested her for the spring. And, again, I didn't have a spring season, so I'm like, why are people resting? You know, I don't believe in rest. You know, that's just how I'm wired, right? I'm right. the other extreme. And, you know, we, we would do free balls and this and barely do six on six. And I'm like, God, you know, he's not really pushing us or anything. Like, we, we lost last season. I thought this would be, you know, I know <laughs> spring season at UCSB with Kathy Gregory wouldn't look like this, even though it's spring season. And it was just an adjustment, and I really had to step back and realize – I'm in a different ball game now, you know, different coach. And to those listening who aren't that familiar, I would say, and tell me if you agree, spring is really when you're working on your free ball passing to just get timing down. And maybe the hitters are not even hitting. They're just jumping and like a tip, but we're, Mm -hmm. you're working on the finite details of timing. Then we're going to work on like a pattern. Then we're going to work on our footwork. It's barely any six on six. Yeah, for sure. Which was a shock to me too. I think my freshman year, it's true. You get to these, I remember having a a strength and training coach in high school. That was insane. Like pushing us. We ran stairs. Girls would throw up. Like it was, and I remember thinking, um, you know, it's going to be worse at USC. Like it's going to be harder Mm -hmm. at USC. And I got to USC. We never did anything (laughs) nearly as hard as the stuff I did in high school. Yeah. I think that's a misconception. Like, and I also just visited a sort of a a D2 volleyball program and they were asking me like, do you guys do all the stuff we do? And I was like, no, we do. And I think the misconception is the top teams are doing this all day, every minute, every hour. And it's like, no, we're resting. We're practicing technique. It's all a balance. It's all a balance for sure. So, during double days, so you mm-hmm. get through that spring, you, you're sort of realizing that this is going to be a lot different. Mm-hmm. And then the fall starts. Mm-hmm. How different were the practices? Um, they were different, for sure. I mean, different coaching styles, right? So so in terms of how the practices ran, you know, definitely different. But, you know, obviously I got to the point where I was confident in the UCSB gym. You know, I'm I'm comfortable in that environment, being pushed, you know, whatever. And then you, you get to another gym, and now I'm... I'm a DS trying to find some some time on the court, so it was it was it was different for sure. Um, I think a lot of what um, prepared 
a lot of my lessons at UCSB prepared me for that and just kind of realizing, okay, maybe it's not the same challenge, you know, that I was challenged at UCSB, but it's similar and I can look at it this way. So I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know about that one. Did you feel like the battle between you and the other libero was sort of neck and neck and double days? Was she helpful to you or was that something where, um, you, you sort of felt a very different relationship? Cause I know what, let's see, when I came in as a DS, my libero was Taylor Whittingham mm-hmm. and she couldn't have been nicer, couldn't mm-hmm. have been more helpful. And she really showed me like, we have to work together to, to be in this back row together. It can't mm-hmm. be like, I hope you get aced. I hope you miss right. that dig. Mm-hmm. And that was not something that I knew of because mm-hmm. you come from a club where you want to know who's committed as libero, who you're going to be better than. So what was that like when now you're surrounded by a bunch of DS liberos who are like top notch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, um, you know, Carly for me really set the tone of that. She was by far, as any of our teammates, like the most amazing teammate. And I couldn't have asked for, you know, a better person to compete against um, because she really, from day one, embraced me. It was like, hey, we're, we're competing, but you're going to make me better. I'm going to make you better. And for that, the team's going to be better. And that, that that's where the focus was at. And when she was gone, that's what I tried to set the tone, you know, for the next class coming in, the next class. And definitely, you know, and I'm sure she felt the same way. There's times where you're like, oh, crap, you know, they're statting in the back and we got to look at the stats. Okay, well, that's the way I'm the libero We're right now. We're going to serve for 30 minutes and they just get out the computer. I'm like, this is my definition of hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously everyone's feeling stressful in those times, right? So right. I try to sit back and say, you know, she's making me better. I'm making her better. The team's better. And this is one aspect of our role. You know, I definitely had thoughts where it's like, you know, and I'm competitive. I'm the libero. I swear if an outside has better passing stats than me, I'm be pissed. And it's like, no, that means, hell yeah, my outside can pass. And they can do more than just hit. They're going to make me a better passer. And it's, it's all your perspective on how you look at it. And I think that definitely helped. And, and just the fact of... Um, you know, that's, that's one aspect of the game. There's things that aren't charted. How good of a teammate are you? You know, do you show up to practice? Do you work hard? Those things aren't statted. What so do you in those in? pressure situations, yeah, there's, there's a bigger picture. The coach knows that, you know that. And so be the best teammate you can be and, and you're going to be better. It's, it's, it's a team, it's a team effort. That is something I think people take for granted. And I think some, most good coaches are aware of the intangibles. Mm -hmm. Some coaches get way too caught up in the numbers, but I do think a libero is a very special position. And I think a great libero has those intangibles of leadership, charisma, energy, Mm -hmm. effort. Like they are stability, I think for the team. Mm -hmm. Um, so that stuff's all super important to any liberos listening. Did you win that spot for the first game of your second season at UCLA? Uh, I did. For the first game you started. Yeah, 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 I did. Um, I started my three years at UCLA. But back to what you said about, you know, the the stats, I think that's 10% of what's important. You look at the best players. You look at the best people that you played with. You know, Taylor, for example, you talk about Taylor. What was the best impact she had on you? Being a good teammate, instilling confidence in you. Those are the qualities. Those are the people I want on the court. Those are people I want next to me. If I'm a coach, those are people I'm going to put on the court. And the rest will fall into place. You know, if you're if you're in the same gym, you're all here for a reason. We're all good at volleyball. 
but you're gonna you're gonna be that much better than the person next to you by having those intangibles. Like right, I and think. it's it's when you ask that I love it because it's like she didn't give me like her good passing, her great defense gave me nothing, but what she gave me was like the kindness, the compassion, mm-hmm. the checking in on me, the the leading me, the guiding me, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, taking care of me as a freshman, but mm-hmm. you do encounter like I've encountered you know, the DS, the libero that don't want to be friends that hope you mess up. Um, and that sucks. Like that sucks to be in that sort of relationship with someone that you need, especially if you're like passing two, you know, especially then you have to know you, the person has your back. Yeah. So, um, now you're starting on this team that, and you said you first came in and you're looking around like these girls are so good. This is a huge step, uh, for what you're used to those first few games, did you feel like you were confident enough to, you know, call, call Karsta off a ball, um, you know, jump in here. I find that sometimes the upperclassman underclassman dynamic can maybe get in the way of people wanting to be as aggressive or confident as they are on the court. Mm -hmm. But when you're a libero, like you have to be aggressive and you have to be confident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, that's kind of, I think that first year for me at UCLA is where I worked through a lot of that. I remember, um, I we there was a flood in Poly Pavilion, and we played at a high school. Or maybe the game was at Pepperdine. I forget. And I cried. I th- I don't know if it was. And I don't cry often. It's when I'm frustrated. And it was like maybe my third or fourth game as as uh, a Bruin. And I had that feeling of like I don't know why I'm in the libero jersey. You know, I don't know what I did to deserve this. Like you know, I didn't believe in myself yet. And that rubs off on your teammates, was right? This before the game or after? Uh, just. During my my first year at UCLA, I think the per- first like fifteen games, I had this feeling, and it'd be during the game, it'd be after the game. But when I cried, I think it was, I don't think, maybe it was in a timeout, and Seely took me aside, and then I just like teared up, and I was like, God, I'm so frustrated, like I'm just not confident out there. And he pushed me to work through it, and I think that was a hurdle I got over, and from there, you know, I was able to work it out. But um, in terms of the upperclassmen and lowerclassmen, um, having the confidence when when you are young, at that time I was a sophomore to kind of step in and and play your role successfully and earn their trust. So upperclassmen and lowerclassmen and having the confidence, you know, as a sophomore in in my case, to step in and, you know, pass the ball in front of Karsta um, comes a lot from developing the relationship off the court, I think. And what I realized, and I know you you and I have talked about this, um, is getting my confidence with reps, you know, outside with no one looking. An hour before practice, I'd pass 200 balls, and that gave me confidence. So when it came to practice, my main goal was just to connect with my teammates. I can even tell from the way you've been just sort of telling your story to me now, it's everything is I stayed extra. I put in the work. You are someone that loves to get that sort of self-assurance from mm-hmm. this notion of, no, I was here for five hours this week. So I know like I'm capable of mm-hmm. being clutch in this moment. Yeah. And that's really important because you have an actual thing that's factual happened that you were calling on to be like, I can't do this. Yeah. And I think it's, it's tough cause you can't in volleyball, you can't control the outcome, right? I can't control how good I play. I can't control if this feeling comes up. I can't control if this feeling comes up. What can I control? You know, I can control how hard I work and I can just trust in that. Listen, I, I put in the work. I've, I've passed the toughest serves. I've also shanked the easiest serves. Like I've, I put in the work and I have to trust them there. And my confidence is going to lie in, how good of a teammate I am, you know, how I react to those mistakes. Am I the first one in the huddle? Am I instilling confidence on my te- in my teammates? Um, 
you know, those sorts of things. Am I talking? Do I know the scouting report? Those are things I can control. And I know, you know, at the end of my career, I was the best I could have been at those things, which is why I was as confident as I was. It wasn't because of my passing or setting or defense. It was the things I can control, and I worked to make sure, you know, my, my confidence was in those things. That was one of the best pieces of advice you gave me because you told me sometimes when we go out for warm-up before a game – it's like our first touch is under the bright lights with 300 people watching, waiting for the game to start. And it's really hard to find your groove. And you said that you used to grab a freshman or grab an assistant coach and you would go pass balls before the, the warm up for the team began or before a practice began to feel confident in your ability to play. Yeah. Was that something that you've done your whole sports life? No, I think I picked it up. Um, as a way to kind of cope with the pressures of the position and being in the Pac-12 or the pressures of being with Kathy at UCSB, I think I just picked up and my dad was like, you know, work harder than work through these, put the work in and what, you know, you can't do stuff that you can't control. So do what you can control and let, let, let everything else fall into place. And so I think it started with my way of kind of handling pressure. Um, and it was the single, I mean, I'm it, it worked for me. It, I'm, I'm so grateful that I found and something I, that worked for me because I, like you said, I, I really use the time before and after practice to get my reps in, to find my confidence, to kind of work through what's ever going on in my head. So at practice, I can focus on being the best teammate, understanding my teammate, knowing how they play and providing those aspects of the game. And, and outside of practice is kind of where I really worked hard to work on and focus on my part of the game. And I think the most important thing about this is as you talk about that, you say the extra reps to get my confidence or to get my groove. It's all for the right reasons. And sometimes Mm -hmm. as athletes, I think we feel this pressure or this need to do extra or do more because of something that um, isn't the best reason. So for example, my freshman year, I always wanted to, and I have have no shame saying this because Taylor Whittingham and I are great friends, but I always wanted to sort of do more than (laughs) Taylor. Like I felt like if she stayed for extra reps, like I would stay too. Or if she did something like I would do them too, just because I was like, okay, well, if she's doing them, I need to do them. It wasn't necessarily because I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And then I started to uh, realize as I got older and I was became a more experienced player, like you don't necessarily have to do extra if you feel good about your practice or if you feel good about how you're playing. And sometimes that extra work for the wrong reasons add more stress. Um, and then like my senior year, if we yeah. did serve and pass during practice and I genuinely was like, yeah, I rocked that. If the other DSs would stay, I wasn't threatened. Like, oh, they're putting an extra work. I got to put an extra work. Um, I was like, I feel good about what I did today. So I left. But then there were, of course, other days where I was like, you know what? I want to touch the ball for 15 more minutes and get it. So I mean, wouldn't you agree that it's got to be for the right reasons? For sure. And I think it's different from person to person. I mean, I have teammates who deal with the pressure or, you know, lack of confidence by meditating, right? So they're meditating before practice. And for me, it was it was reps. It was a way where I didn't have to think and I could just react to serve the ball and let me just feel the ball and react and not think about things and let, let me get my touch. So that's what worked for me. But you're absolutely right. It's dependent what you know what works are person to person and there's so many people out there that and I've done it too where it's like okay we're the same position we're competing the spot's still open shoot she's getting x reps I gotta stay like that's totally normal and um but like you said it can it can also hurt you because 
you're spending so much time and energy thinking about your competition. And, and I think once I changed my mindset and was able to focus on, focus on what more I can give to my team and other aspects besides passing a ball, I think my career overnight, you know, Definitely. Switched. It's when you realize you have the, like an opportunity to help your team. And that's mm-hmm. something that shifted my mindset as well. And I'm, I'm sure we talked about this. I used to text Taylor my whole <laughs> freshman year, like about my mind, or I was like, how do you get out of your head when you shank a pass? And you were so sweet, always texting mm-hmm. me back. And I think sometimes when I went out there and I was like, okay, I got to pass a three, that would affect me in a worse way than if I went out there and said, all right, I got to get this ball to my setter like real quick. Like mm-hmm. I got to get this ball to my setter. And mm-hmm. then when I'm thinking, I'm just going to get this ball to my setter, like it becomes a perfect pass because I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm wanting to give mm-hmm. her an opportunity. Right. As opposed to this selfish mindset of I have to have a three and then the play is over in my head. Yeah. I would honestly say about 99% of the time when I'm playing volleyball, I'm focused on the people around me. I mean, I'm not even tuned in on who's serving me, what my last pass was, any of that stuff because I've noticed that when I'm focusing on other people, that's when my game is the best. When I'm focusing on giving to my teammates, when I'm focusing on making them better, when I'm focusing on giving more, my game just naturally comes and, and I am out of my head. And it's, it's back to the, um, I know you and I have talked to this as well, charting, you know, when you're being charted in, in practice, how stressful that can be. In those situations, you, you can't control that you're being charted. It's, it's part of the game. It's part of practice. But in those times, if you can focus on those people around you and make them better, you're immediately out of your own head because you're not thinking about your game. You're not thinking about how you perform. You're thinking about how you're making people around you better and you're being better because of that. So I think, you know, part of the reason I was the libero was I was is because I was able to make that turn in my career when I really, really focused on trying to give as much to my team. And I, it really got me completely out of my own head and, and my, my game got better because of it. So now you're a junior and you have those two seasons under your belt, one season under your belt as a Bruin libero. What sort of changes did you feel as a leader? Because now you're going to be a junior, you're an upperclassman, you are experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, I never really focused on, you know, being, being a leader. I think with the way I played and, you know, I'm very loud on the court. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not the person in the huddle like, hey, let's go, we're doing this, or before a game, like a big pregame speech. Um, we had a bunch of girls on our team that, that played that role. I was I was better at making that personal connection. And, you know, when I see someone's down going, someone's down going to them and saying, hey, you know, whatever it is to get them going. Um, so, you know, I always just focus on being the best teammate I can be and, and really – leading by example, I would study my own teammates. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, Riley won off this game. What does it look like when she goes off? Where is she most comfortable? Where is the ball going? Am I covering? Is she feeling that I'm covering so she's taking more confident swing? Like, what is it? Okay, she was off this game. What is it? What do I need to do when she's off? How can I be a better teammate for her when she's off? And, like, for her, for example, I noticed from watching film and talking to her, it's like, listen, if Riley's not hitting well, I absolutely need to give her more court passing and defense because all she needs to know is that I trust her. So if she was not hitting well, I'd, I'd look at her and go, hey, I'm going to pinch this way. You got all this court. I need you to pass this ball. She needed to feel like she had a role for the team to be successful when you're in a flunk. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And so for me, it was getting to know you know each player individually and how I can best bring out their confidence and, and help them when they're down. Because like you said, we don't touch the ball much as a libero. So I was always looking. Tony really challenged me to do this. Um, I was always really looking to help 
go above and beyond just being a good teammate and really getting to know and have a personal connection with everyone. That's really special that you would do that and get to know your teammate because we spend so much time scouting our opponents, but do we really know like what our teammates tendencies are, what they like to Mm -hmm. do? And Mm -hmm. did you feel like your teammates noticed sort of your triggers and your things on the court, the buttons and whatnot to help you succeed as well? For sure. For sure. Um, I, I mean, I think just being in the libero role, obviously there's times, you know, where I'm struggling or I'm in a funk or, you know, whatever it is. And I think the develop, the relationships that I develop with each of them, um, you know, off the court and even on the court, they knew I'm so confident in myself and I knew they were so confident in me. Um, and I did things to make sure that they knew that, but they've definitely, you know, helped me in tough times, you know, when I'm in a passing funk or whatever, but I, um, I definitely tried to be that that steady person on the court that everyone can rely on, you know, no matter. I, I, I wanted to be the consistent one. You know, if I was down, I wanted them to know, hey, just because I'm passing bad, I'm fine. Let's keep worrying about offense. Let's keep attacking. Like, don't worry about me or, shoot, is Taylor going to pass this ball? Is she having a bad game? I tried, you know, my best to give off the vibe that let's not worry about me, you know. Like, I got myself up yeah, I, I, I focus on yeah. something else. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just mentioned sort of being in a funk. And... All of us can probably relate to this being mm-hmm. in a funk, and it can be one set of the game. It could be the whole game. Mm-hmm. What was your sort of go-to self-talk or go-to move that would help you best get out of that funk? Yeah, I think, again, back to, you know, I try to simplify the game as much as possible and, and how, I th- how I would think I would try to tie into each situation I'm in. So w- when I'm in a funk... I would try to say, you know, I, I'd actually talk to myself and say, listen, I'm going to funk. I'm not, you know, it's so easy to play well when I'm feeling good. My touch is on point. You know, I've got whatever amount of digs. Our team's winning. You know, it's easy to play good when you're when you're in that space. Um, when you're in a funk and it's not going well and it's tough, I would literally tell myself, okay, how good can I get right now? Because this is where my game's going to go from a C game to a C plus. This is where I'm going to get better if I can perform in this funk. And I would have games where... I'd have a great match, and no one but me would know, man, that was a battle the whole game. I was in my Actually. head the whole game. Mm-hmm. I was terrified behind the line when so-and-so was up to serve, but no one knew, and I, I and I was so proud that, you know, I'm able to push through this and perform, and I'm going to be ready for the next time that comes up, and I'm going to know that I'm able to conquer that. So I think, you know, when I'm going to funk, I would try to change my perspective instead of, oh, you know, oh, God, my passing's off right now. It's like, okay, how good can I be? You know, how good can I be right now? Because it's going to make me better. Because guess what? We're not even playoffs yet. And I'm going to be in a funk in the playoffs. I know I am. There's going to be teams I don't, I'm not too familiar with. And I'm going to get uncomfortable. But how good can I be in those spaces? And Sealy played a big role in helping me kind of view it that way. And, and how, how, how good can I be when I'm uncomfortable? It was in those moments that I really felt growth in, in my game and, and confidence in my ability. And that ultimately led me to a more confident player. So I think whenever I was in a funk, I really just try to challenge myself. I'd accept that I'm in a funk and I just say, you know, how, how good can I be right now? And I, it, it definitely helped me get to the point where towards the end of my career, if I was ever in a passing funk or whatnot, um, I definitely had like more of a, an FU mentality because I was so confident that I'd be able to get the next pass or I'd be able to make the next play. So that's kind of what worked for me whenever I would be in a funk. That's the epitome of the growth mindset and I mean, it's so hard for people to do and you're obviously very mentally tough and 
I really hope that people listening take your advice because I think that is the best thing you can do is just, hey, this is the situation. This is how my body feels, but like, how am I going to respond? As a leader, how did you deal with maybe a player or a, a teammate that wasn't as invested or didn't care as much or maybe was sort of detrimental to the team's culture? Was that something that, yeah, how did you handle that? You know, in a, in a team sport, it's important that everyone feel part of the team. Um, but I definitely focused on giving energy to the people that are on board and bought into the team and bought into the coach and bought into the system. So, you know, in those type of situations, I try not to focus on it, on that person or, you know, whatever the situation is too much and really focus on the people that want to be that at practice, want to work hard and do want to be better for the team. And, 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 and yeah, so I wouldn't focus, you know, too much on, on those people. Um, definitely kept my energy focused on the people that want to be there and want to show up and, and get them on board to what I believed in. And, and hopefully it's contagious and, and soon enough, everyone's on board, but that's kind of how I would deal with that. And I really agree. And people listening might be thinking, oh, maybe that person needs the attention though, or that's the person that needs this or that. But really we can't make someone or make a player want to work as hard or want to buy in or want to do such and such unless they want to do it. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and there's maybe someone on your team that's hard to deal with, if you're wasting energy trying to change them or make them do or believe something that they just don't, that is, yeah, it's taking the attention. Like, for example, if Taylor were to do that, she wouldn't have all that great energy to give to people that actually wanted to receive it. Um, and that was something that I didn't learn until literally, I think two games before my career ended at USC, um, that I had been spending so much energy trying to, to, to give, to give to these people that didn't want it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, if you're listening to this and you have something like that, I mean, give to those who are on board and are, and are wanting what you want. Yeah, I, I definitely too, I have a tendency to, to stick up for the underdog. So I've been in situations where I do want to help and it, it gets draining. It, doesn't make my game any better, which hurts the team. And I think if anyone's, you know, struggling with, with that type of situation or with someone on the team that's not bought in or, or whatnot, just focus on the people that do want to be there. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not our job to get them on board. You're, you're on the team, you signed up, you know, get what you want out of the experience, or you're not going to be a part of the greatness that this team can achieve. 100%. I completely agree. And you were voted Pac-12 Bear of the Year <laughs> two years in a row, which is an amazing accomplishment, an incredible feat. I mean, there's one spot for that uh, to be to be chosen. Was that something that you celebrated? Was there like a, your parents are you a little party? How did you handle that recognition? I was super, super grateful for, for the recognition, for sure. Um, you know, I remember when I, when I found out and I called, my dad was the first person I called and he goes, congrats, Taylor. And I'm like, that's it. And he goes, Taylor, you're the same person if you got this award. And if you didn't, you need to be the same exact person. You're still going to train the same, you know, nothing changes because they, they put this label, you know, on you this season and, and gave you this award. It's, it's not going to make you work any harder. You're already working hard, you know? And so I think that kind of put it in perspective and, I was very grateful, but I knew that I had so many things I still wanted to work on. You know, I wanted to get better at so many things. So I was definitely grateful for it. Huge success or huge kudos to my teammates for the success um, on them allowing me to play the role that I did on on the team and and them making me better. So 
it's a team award. Um, it's also, you know how it is, it's political. There's so many good liberos of deserving of it in college volleyball. It's largely in part, you know, where you finish in conference and all that. So I, I, I was very, very thankful. But I think the thing that stuck with me most during that time is when my dad, you know, basically said, congrats, but, you know, you're the same person with or without this award. It's not going to change who you are, how hard you work. And so that's kind of how I, how I, um, you know, took that accomplishment. Most people, I mean, I'm I'm a nice commenter over here, never won that award, but I feel like it's great to hear someone like you say that because I'm sure there's liberos that like, if they don't win the award, they're like, ha, I didn't do good enough or why not me? And it affects them. Or if they did win the award, they're like, oh, great. Well, now I'm not going to do my summer lifts because I was libero of the year. So to hear someone like you who won that twice say, you know, you don't let it affect you, I think is just insanely wise. And to anyone who's maybe striving for an award or an accolade to sort of anoint them as made it or, you know, that doesn't really exist. Yeah, I agree. There's... There's always somebody better out there. There's people working just as hard as you that, you know, don't get the same opportunity or whatever it is. Um, so I was, I was very grateful for it, but, um, you know, I definitely didn't let it define me as a player or put a extra pressure on me or more of an expectation. I was still going to work hard to be better than I was. And, you know, that was just my, my mindset. And lastly, before we jump into the final questions, I do want to talk about how you never wore makeup during the games. And <laughs> as real pod, I mean, we love that. Snaps for you. But could you just tell me about that a little bit? Because a lot of these girls, yeah. like, I mean, they spend like a few hours before the game wearing makeup. They're always in a full face. And I mean, honestly, it's whatever a person wants to do. But I think we rarely see someone just absolutely no makeup uh as a female athlete sort of on the stage we're on playing a sport that is a pretty like feminine we all have ribbons sport so where did that come from and like how did you get that inspiration to just go out there and uh with and be your natural self yeah um this was a decision I made starting my junior year at UCLA I remember my sophomore year and I'm sure you can relate you spend so much time before a match getting ready. Am I going to wear, you know, a side braid today? Am I going to put makeup on, dress mascara? Am I putting blush on? Like whatever it is. And I felt like my sophomore year, I spent too much time on and, and, and too much energy on those type of conversations or, you know, getting ready for games. And I knew that I wanted people to, especially being in LA, um, you know, and the, stereotypes of of being in LA and I saw a lot of people young volleyball fans follow certain players because of how they look or because they're funny or because you know whatever the situation is and I knew that I really wanted people to respect my game not how I look um and I didn't want to that I didn't want that to be a conversation before a match of how I'm going to wear my hair this match so I every match um I didn't have any makeup and I just slicked my hair back into a braid and it actually really helped me mentally. I think just kind of have the same mindset going to the game and, and really focusing on the right things and not the the noise outside or what's going on. And it was really important for me to um, have, I, I, I wanted people to respect my game, not, not how I look or, or any of that kind of stuff. So for me, that was a decision I made after my sophomore year and, I was really glad I did. And I remember, uh, I think it was my junior year, we were playing Texas 
in the Sweet 16, and one of my teammates said, you know, we're on ESPN tonight. Like, you can put mascara on. And I was like, nope. I don't wear makeup. Oh, <laughs> so, my gosh. Um, I, I was like, I was, don't. <laughs> she didn't say it in like a malicious way or anything. She was uh, right. just, just giving right. me, you know, it was all fun. But it was definitely a decision that I made, and I was really happy that I made it. And it, I, I, it did just help me put my put me in the right mindset before a match. And when you say decision, you use that word a lot. So I'm sort of imagining you like actually having this conversation with yourself and being like, you know what, from this point on, it's going to be different. Did was there like some turn of events, like a certain game where you maybe like couldn't find your mascara and you were like, wait, this is stupid. Or did gradually, were you just like, I don't really feel like doing this anymore? Um, like, how did this decision get inspired? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, was super, being superstitious um, and one game wearing a, a braid and then not having a good match and me changing my hair for the next game. It was just all stupid. <laughs> and um, I think after having too many of those conversations where I was focusing on, oh, I didn't have a good game when I wore my hair this way. It sounded so silly to me, and so I decided I didn't want to wear any makeup and wear the same hairstyle, so I didn't even have those conversations anymore. So it wasn't a specific event. I just noticed I was having that conversation way too much, Um, so I really wanted to keep it simple. I love that, and I know you messaged me about that, I think, when when I was still playing, and I feel Mm -hmm. like the way I sort of – because I think I ended up, depending on if I wanted to, I would either – put makeup on and do my hair special or I wouldn't but I definitely got to a place where I was like I don't need this to perform well and Mm -hmm. I think as female athletes especially we have to realize that our image and how we look isn't at all like in association or a direct reflection of how we're going to play. Like we can look ourselves and we can still Mm -hmm. fall out. Yeah exactly and I and I I do know people out there that are the opposite for me where they don't feel like they're game time ready or hyped up without their, their makeup on and their bow in the hair or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend that's like, you got to look good to yeah. play good. That's yeah. And motto. it works for some people and kudos to you. That's awesome. I just know for me, it was something that I went back and forth with and I had too many conversations and I was focused too much on what hairstyle I'm going to do that day. Or if I was going to wear mascara that I decided you know, I have more important things to worry about before a match. That's great. I absolutely love it. And lastly, I just want to talk about what life has been like for you after volleyball. Um, Given your amazing college success, I'm sure that playing professionally and playing in the USA volleyball gym was an option for you. What was the reason that you decided to uh, pursue coaching and then pursue a future that, that left volleyball sort of behind? I, it was something I, I definitely thought about. I wouldn't say, you know, uh, some people grow up wanting to go to the Olympics and play after college. And I wouldn't say I had any of those dreams. You know, I knew I wanted to play in college, hopefully. And after my career ended, I thought, you know, maybe I should give it a try. It wouldn't hurt to give it a try, but I knew it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, I'm a homebody. Um, I was dating my now husband for four or five years after, by the time I graduated and I knew I wanted to get home and kind of move on with life and volleyball had been great, but I didn't know if I wanted to commit, you know, four more years of my life to this Olympic dream when very few people make it and knowing myself, I would, I would be all in, I commit hundred myself to the hundred percent of myself to the process. And I think just weighing out my options, um, 
I knew the the path that I chose, which was, you know, I knew want to get married soon, married soon, um, have kids soon. It wasn't that hard of a decision for me. I definitely still miss it, miss the growth volleyball provides you as a person. Um, and I, I, I love challenges and I, and I think it would have been an awesome experience, but for me, I think it wasn't, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And it was tough because I felt like my answer wasn't, and I know I've spoken to you about this. I felt like my answer wasn't good enough of me just not really wanting to pursue it. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's the most valuable, inspiring thing, though, is as athletes, we feel like like you were so accomplished. You you could be you could have been in the you walked into the USA gym. They invited like, and so for you to just say, "Hey, I don't really want to do it," it's like people are like, "No, that's that's not okay." Like you have to like because we're athletes, as opposed to just people saying you can want to live like a normal mm-hmm. life. And I'm so happy to have someone like you, especially being an example of, of why that is so okay. You had a gorgeous wedding. You didn't have to leave the country. You know, you get to pursue a career you love. And I think those are all things to be really proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm i very happy with my decision. I, I, I obviously miss volleyball. I miss being on a team. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at and the decision I made. So um, if anyone's, you know, out there deciding – if they want to, or if they don't just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. I think if I would have committed to it, it would have been because I felt like I needed to give it a shot. Um, not because I necessarily wanted to. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my reasoning for, for not wanting to try to pursue a professional career. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really glad that you're able to do what you love and do what you want. And as athletes, we're being told like when to practice, when to lift, what to eat for so, so many years that when we finally have freedom, you know, it's just great. And also as female athletes, like we don't have professional volleyball in America. So it's like, you have to leave the country. And then with the Olympics, it's like, you could work for four years and then you could be cut. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's like 2% of people in that gym actually get what they want. So I'm just glad that you're happy and that your career was so inspiring. And um, you and Chad are the cutest. Forgot mm-hmm. to mention in the beginning, but Chad was at the private lesson. So, <laughs> um, shout out Chad! <laughs> I know. Shout out. Also, a great libero. You got. You guys are hopefully going to birth some like defensive, perfect passing <laughs> little thing. I don't even know. <laughs> Um, but anyways, thank you so much for coming on real pod. I really appreciate it. And I'm just feel like anyone listening learned so many valuable things today about leadership, giving to your team, being an underdog and overall, like making decisions that will make you the happiest. So I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of hashtag real pod. Wasn't Taylor just so cool. I mean, I feel like everyone is probably wishing they could have been on her team at some point. She just sounds like the ideal teammate and the ideal person that you want to have by your side in a tough environment and a tough game. So I definitely wish I would have gotten the chance to actually be her teammate, but it's just great to be her friend and that she took the time to share all of that with us today. So big thanks to Taylor. And if you guys are enjoying RealPod, make sure that you subscribe, give it five stars. If you could write a review, I would be so grateful. And anyways, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. I'd say let's all let's all have our focus be how much we can give to those around us and, and give to others. Even if you're not on the court, you can do it in real life. And that's what I'm going to be doing because I'm not an athlete anymore. Sad. But anyways, let's go get them, folks. <laughs>